Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of The Hopecast. We're back each week or so bringing you a hope-filled comeback story and conversation that will help you radically change your life. We are your hosts, Lance and... Allie Lund. Hey, you did it. Excellent. Thank you. I learned a lot yes. since last week. Glad um, that you are here again. Co-hosting, since you are the co-host. In fact, that the is with what the hostess. co-host means. That's right. Yeah. Looking beautiful today. So Thank glad that you. you are here. You know, I'm really glad to be here, just spending this quality time with Speaking you. Speaking of quality time, what is this show you're making me watch every night right now? Oh. What is that show? Are you talking about Heart and Dixie? Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, this has been torture. No, you're making us sound really... Uh, out of touch because I think it's a pretty old show. What's okay? People go back and watch old shows. But I found it on Netflix because I just wanted something like peaceful and easy, you know? It reminds me a whole lot of that other show that you used to make me watch. Gilmore Girls. Oh my Yeah. Gosh. Does anyone else out there just like, Lance wants to come home and sit on the couch and watch like the latest murder mystery or like fan. Uh, any sort of documentary that's super in depth yes. and typically brings anxiety to the surface. Drugs Inc. Yes. Narcos. Yes. And I like to watch things because I feel like my everyday life is a lot of it, it's my everyday life is basically Drugs Inc. You know, that's true. And so I feel like when I get home, all I want to do is watch Got like, a heart of Dixie. <laughs> I want to move to Bluebell, Alabama. Oh my goodness. And dress like they do and all of the above. Do you think I'd make a good set? You I actually would that's make a, a ba- terrible back set. lot of a holiday Hollywood set. You remember those sets we went to when we went to Universal Studios? Uh, yeah, Lance. I was the one that lived in LA. <laughs> that's true. You were. Uh, anyway, that's what you're making me watch. But why don't you, you tell uh, Okay, can, can I just say one yeah, other thing about sure. Heart of Dixie? Just so everyone knows, I've been watching it. Lance will come in, he'll sit down, he'll complain about it for about 10 minutes. And then what he actually will do is I'll watch him. Slowly the phone goes down, he starts staring at the TV. This is a lot. And about 35 minutes later, he's like, I wonder what happened to Lemon. (laughs) 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 So don't let him fool you that he is not a Heart of Dixie fan. It's the same way you do a 30 for 30 documentary, so. Eventually, you get excited about them. Yeah. Jack, can I tell you what I just started watching last night? Sure. Uh, the Babysitter's Club. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Tell so, them about what, who is bringing the Hopecast to them today, please. Well, Hope, the Hopecast is brought to you by Hope is Live Ministries. HIA has 19 intentional, next-level, sober living homes in six cities and three states and provides community based support groups called Finding Hope for loved ones of addicts. You can find Finding Hope at findinghope.today. So we're excited for this episode we of are. the Hopecast. Especially on the heels of that introduction from Finding Hope because this is an amazing story. If you listen to the last episode we had uh, with Kyle, you know that we talked about how folks have found Hope is Alive through their parents going to finding hope support groups and then beginning to find health and healing and hope and community in those support groups and lo and behold as they get healthy then the family member that they're representing the addict in their life uh, begins to do the same and we're going to tell an amazing story about that from our wichita program manager i know this is very and our first failed intern 
failed intern? You know, like, we failed on our internship with Julie. You're making it sound like she was failed. Well, obviously she wasn't failed if she's our women, Wichita Women's Program Manager. That's true. Let's... I think, like, Hope is Alive brought her on as an intern and hired her. She was so incredible. Within, like, three days. The three days later, we're like, Julie Q, here's your tap. Here's your at-bat. Go to Wichita. Move to Wichita. And she said, yes. And she and she said, okay, can I go see my dad really quickly? And then I'll go tomorrow by two o'clock. And I said, deal. So ladies and gentlemen, fastest internship ever. Yep. Please help us welcome Wichita program manager on the women's side for Hope is Alive, Julie Quinlan. <laughs> How are you, Julie? Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm pretty good. Thanks for listening to us banter about Heart of Dixie. <laughs> Have you ever seen Heart of Dixie? No, but I was laughing Good at the you. I was laughing at the the babysitter's club. <laughs> <laughs> okay, she knows she read those books. I did, I did. So I'm right there with you, Allie. <laughs> so I feel like it's two against one here. Yeah, I, I feel that way right. too. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think you might it, be right. How does it feel to be outnumbered there, Lance? Uh, normal. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my dad would say. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, really, your dad would say that he is outnumbered, huh? Do you have out? Tell us about your uh, sisters. So, I have three sisters. Um, I'm the oldest of of all of us. Um, you know, I've I've one that's just a couple years younger than me, and the other two are quite a bit younger than me. We're all, you know, still pretty close, even throughout all of the the troubles and the you know my lifestyle choices we've all come back together and we're pretty close I actually get to see them tomorrow in the city I'm so excited well that's great yeah. that's awesome well tell yeah. the folks a little bit kind of a cliff notes version about your story if you will and and I'd really like to spend more time talking about kind of what you've been through the last couple of years as um, your life's progressed but what was life growing up and how did you fall into the drug and alcohol addiction so my, you know, my, my childhood was pretty normal, pretty standard. I was raised with two, you know, loving parents. I uh, went to church. I was an athlete. I uh, didn't really get into any drugs or alcohol until right after I graduated. It was just, you know, occasional drinking and experimenting with drugs. Um, I didn't really get into a heavy drug use until my mid-20s. Um, it was then that I had tried prescription pain pills and just really liked the way they made me feel. I get um, that. Yeah, I mean, for, for no other reason. I didn't have any trauma or anything bad, you know, really that happened to start off my drug use. But I liked the way they made me feel. Um, but I unfortunately got addicted very, very quickly. Um, I was... You know, my pill use was daily, hourly. Uh, at the end of it, it was about seven, eight years. I was on a, a a pill kick, so to speak. I went to detox for 11 days when my life had become unmanageable. Then um, I lost a marriage, lost jobs, friends. Um, so I went to 11-day detox, got out, went right back to people, places, and things. Mm. I swore I'd never do a pill again, which I didn't. Um, but I did end up trying methamphetamines for the first time because I still wanted that chemical change in my body mm. um, and so you know to me meth was the was the answer there and as soon as I tried that my life took a turn I mean quickly it just took a matter of years after that just a couple years I had lost my home 
I lost my job. I had completely abandoned my family. Um, and then, you know, once I, you know, once I had nothing, I just didn't care about anything. I mean, I cared about nothing. I started getting arrested uh, in about 2016 and I had been arrested 11 times in two years. Mm. And in 2018, my final arrest, the, they sentenced me to a 10 year prison sentence. Um, oh, yeah, it was, I mean, it was quick. My, my heavy drug use though, didn't really start to my adult life. And so I, where I was lucky, I didn't have, you know, a drug use for years and years and years. Mine did though go very, very quickly. It went from zero to a hundred real, real quick. And it, it landed me in prison. Julie, I'm interested on um, what you said um, when you said that you stopped doing pills, stopped taking mm -hmm. opiates, um, and you never took a pill again. What was the justification, do you think, in your mind of finding the meth and it not being not you not looking at it the same? Does that make sense? Yeah. So. I just remembered whenever I got off of opiates, how painful that was. That was probably one of the hardest things I'd ever had to do was physically detox off of opiates. So I walked out of that facility. My mindset wasn't, hey, I'm never going to drink or never do anything again, but I'm not going to use pills again. I, I figured I had that kicked, you know. I won't go down that road again. But when I was introduced to meth, I was like, well, now I know how bad things can get. I can control it. Let me just try this thing, you know, recreationally. And I was dead wrong. I mean, it was same effect, same effect. Yeah, recreational meth use rarely works out, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. to say the least. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been there. Smoking yeah. meth out of a light bulb recreationally is tough. It is. <laughs> I, I say that yeah. jokingly, but it's it's that's kind of where our mindset is, though. I mean, we we will yeah. justify all kinds of things and oh yeah, tell ourselves that we can handle this and mm -hmm. and do life while we also um, abuse this chemical substance, and it just kind of shows folks where we are and 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 the the disease and what it does and takes over our, our ability to make good choices. But absolutely, I think one of the interesting things that I know about what was going on while you were talking about those rough, really two or three years before uh, you were incarcerated, I know at the same time, your mother was beginning to look for help for you. And what she didn't realize is that when she walked into a finding hope support group, thinking that she was going to get a list of things to help you, she really walked out, with a list of things to start helping her. Yeah. And I just, I know that for many years there, they, they didn't have a whole lot of contact with you. Can you mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about, did you see things beginning to change in your mom's life and how that impacted you? Yeah. So I was, um, you know, I was sitting in County jail the very last time. Um, that's kind of when my mindset started to change, you know, Hey, I need to start making some better choices. Um, so I called my mom while I was there and, you know, mind you, I haven't talked to them other than a handful of times in over about five years. Um, when I say I left the family, I really just left. Um, but I decided to call my mom and just start seeing if there was something I could do to start making a change and my mom was not one who enabled me. Well, come to find out, she learned that from finding hope. You know, she wasn't she wasn't willing to to give me everything I was asking for just because I was calling, you know, because I had done that in the past. I'd call her and ask for things and she 
she really didn't know how to deal with it back then. But this time something was different. She she was willing to talk to me and support me, but she wanted to see that I was making changes. And uh, it wasn't, she didn't tell me then that she had gone to these Finding Hope classes. It wasn't until I was actually um, in prison, she came and visited me and she started telling me about Hope is Alive um, and then also how she was able to hear about it. She had heard through a counselor that she was going to about you, Lance, and that you were starting up these classes called Finding Hope. And she just went ahead and went kind of by herself for the first couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, it was about, she was, you know, she just needed to find a way to make sure she was okay and that the rest of the family was okay, even if I never came back. So she was telling me about the classes and about Hope is Alive. And then, you know, that whenever I got out, I could not come back to their house, but they were willing to help me go somewhere, somewhere to, you know, start a life again. And they mailed me the brochures for Hope is Alive, got me in touch with my program manager and kind of the rest is history. I came into Hope is Alive six days after my release, but it all started because she started going to these Finding Hope classes and she learned you know, how to better handle conversations with me. And she learned how to better handle her life and her marriage and her, you know, relationships and friendships and family life. So it was a tremendous help to our family. I don't know if I'd be here today if it wasn't for specifically the Finding Hope classes. Well, we sure love your mom and Lynn. They were at our wedding. And I feel like heard about julie yes for years you were like this mythical creature I, <laughs> julie. we heard about you for years i was scared wondering. Of i know I was right? scared of this person they were describing i know and I, you know as we've journeyed journey through them or if somebody's listening you know that's a loved one or a parent um what was your relationship like with your mom during your addiction it was non-existent uh I, it was almost immediately once I had got out of treatment for opiates and started my meth addiction, it was almost immediately that I had completely severed all ties with family. I mean, it wasn't like big blowups happened and then I would leave and then come back and, you know, back and forth. I left. Mm-hmm. I just completely left. Um, so, like, yeah, it was absolutely non-existent uh, I- until I called her. I remember your mom coming into a Finding Hope class that I was at one time and her her crying because she had just seen your picture come across, I think it was Oklahoma County Jail yeah. website, and it was the first picture she'd seen of you in years, mm-hmm. and she she was celebrating because she knew that you were safe in, yeah. in jail at the time, and that was yeah. a big moment um, for her, and you know, just to talk about the journey of, of where addiction does get, not only the addict, but, but the family of the addict, I think that that's profound, you know, you go from seeing your child, and I know how you are with your mom, and your family now, Julie, which is incredibly involved and present and there for them. And so just the, the juxtaposition of, of where it was in your addiction and um, just your mom waiting years for your picture to come up on the county jail web- website, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yep. and having that to where it is now, which is you talk daily. Mm-hmm. They come up and see you. You're an active aunt right? Oh my gosh. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
And and then, you know, you said the the final arrest happened in 2018 and you were sentenced for 10 years in prison. Is that right? That is correct. I had a 10 year sentence. And it's 2020 and you are a Hope is Live staff member in Wichita. So tell us what happened during from 2018, 10 year prison sentence to now. So, um, like I said, I came uh, into Hope is Alive six days after I was released from incarceration. I was actually given um, a sentence that was, uh, I was given 10 year sentence, but I got released in about a year and a half uh, due to working a program in while I was incarcerated. So I, I got out, came to Hope is Alive. Um, I wasn't really sure what I was expecting to get out of Hope is Alive other than I knew I needed to change people, places, and things. I needed a whole new, a whole new life. You know, at that point I had been 18 months sober. So the getting sober part wasn't really what drove me to help his life. It was the, you know, the community. Um, It was getting, you know, re-involved with just everyday life, you know, getting a job, you know, getting a car, getting reestablished with my family, getting my, you know, my faith back on track. Um, so I went into it with that mindset of just, okay, well, I'll try it out and hopefully this will, you know, help me, you know, get to where I need to be in, in those aspects. I think that's and, really, that's really important for people to hear Yeah, is that, you know, some folks do come into the program with a couple of days of sobriety and they're at rock bottom and they're rebuilding everything. But mm-hmm. other times people come in with different varying links of sobriety, whether it's from incarceration or treatment. And there's so much more to build on top of. And I, oh, I yeah. love what you're you're saying to people that there's a whole lot more than just being clean and sober that we have to rebuild. Oh, absolutely. You, you yeah. touched on all those things. So what are some things that early on in the program you were working on, whether it was finances or family or job or what are some things that you jumped into? I it was, you know, it was really important for me to get a job right away uh, because I you know, my parents had supported me while I was incarcerated for so long. And, you know, I was 38 years old whenever I came into the program. So it was really important for me to stand on my own two feet. So that was like, you know, that was the, the one of the driving forces for me right away. But then I really needed friends. I needed real friends. I thought I had had friends in the past, but I had no idea what real friendship was like until I met these women uh, in this program. Um, beyond that, I started, you know, I started going back to church. I was born and raised in the church and I, I didn't realize how much I missed it until I started going back Mm. and, you know, gone every, every week since the day I got out of prison. Sit on the front row, don't you? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Every week. That's how we do it. We show up and set the tone. That's right. For sure. Julie, I know you, we've talked about you have a heart for um, others that are coming from incarceration and learning how to transition back into the real world with, you know, things on their legal record with, you know, having been potentially incarcerated for a significant period of their life to where Mm -hmm. things look different and they feel different and they have no one left. What do you think, like, what are the biggest struggles you see of women or men for that matter, coming out of incarceration and trying to get incorporated back into the quote unquote real world? 
So for me, the biggest struggle I had, one obviously was was getting a job. A lot of employers, you know, kind of frown upon hiring felons. But if you, if you can find an employer that will go ahead and, and take a chance on you, that was the biggest thing for me. But also just establishing relationships that are not uh, with people involved in the old lifestyle that you were in. That was really a struggle for me. Just everyday conversations, you know, that that aren't involving drugs or alcohol or old behaviors. That was a really hard adjustment for me because I lived that life for so long. Um, so just being comfortable in your own skin was really a struggle. But well, it's confusing. It yeah, is. it's confusing it really to is. know know how to, to navigate those waters. And I think one of the things that you said that I, I really love about what God's done through Hope is Alive is, is it allows residents to come in, no matter where they're coming from, and they instantly have a, a new family. Yes. Yeah. They have a brand new community that they can rely on and lean on that that they're going in the right direction. You know, I mean, you're mm-hmm. you're almost getting swooped up into this school of fish, and they're all going in one direction. Yep. And you can't help but go in that direction. Yeah. Um, and if, if you're trying to go another direction and it just won't work for you, yeah, <laughs> you know, it won't work for us. And so, uh, but you have such a, an easier, if you will, um, path to getting into sobriety and building the life skills that you're talking about. And if folks are out there listening and their children or their spouse um, is in incarceration like you are, I think you are the epitome of this conversation. Yeah. You were um, a hope-filled comeback story. And oh, I think that's the epitome of the whole podcast, and people need to know that hope is possible, and and people can really change. Absolutely. I have a, a interesting question for you. Um, <laughs> did you ever give when you were in prison? Mm-hmm. Was there ever a moment where you just lost all hope of what your future could be? Um. Honestly, no. I gained. I. I gained a lot of hope while I was in there. And I say that because I, first of all, I got sober while I was incarcerated. Um, Mm -hmm. I was rebuilding my family relationships while I was incarcerated. I made a very conscious decision while I was there to stay on the straight and narrow and get out and restart my life. So, I mean, it's kind of disheartening when you pull up to a prison gate and you see the barbed wire and you know this is where you're going to be for however long. But I just, you know, I had a huge support system behind me at that point, you know, going in. So I gained a lot of hope. And and after hearing, you know, about Hope is Alive and what, you know, finding hope it did for my parents and what I could potentially have when I got out, that's kind of where my hope began. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, talk to us a little bit about kind of when you began to feel, and we use the word called uh, here quite a bit, Hope is Alive, but maybe when you begin to realize that God wanted to use your story to allow you to help other people, what's been that journey? So um, whenever I first came into the program, like I said earlier, I just wanted to feel it out. And you know, pretty much what I was just expecting to get was, you know, my my old life back. And by that, I mean, my life before drugs and alcohol. And I just thought I'd go back to, you know, having a job and, and being close to my family. And that was about it. Uh, it took a good couple months for me to really come out of my shell, get to know the girls, get Agreed. to know, the, get to know Agreed. the, yeah. <laughs> hey now, but yeah. it, it took me a while. I mean, I was yep. locked up for a year and a half, <laughs> but, uh, it, like I said, it took me a couple months. And once I, find, you know, once I got a job and got into the swing of things, I started 
leaning into the other residents a little bit more. And, you know, whereas COVID hit a lot of people negatively for me, whenever I I ended up losing my job, for me, it gave me a good chance to just spend time with the women in my home. And it was kind of then that I was like, you know, this might be something that I would like to do a little bit more, maybe a job path. Um, I had talked with girls coming into the program that have been dealing with legal issues. And, and I was like, man, I navigated that pretty well. Whenever I got out, I could be a good resource for others, you know, helping them get their life back, especially on that, on that end. And, and just growing in the program myself, you know, kind of helped direct me that, that way. And then the internship came up and I said, this is like God saying, this is your time. You're not working somewhere else. You have the time to really pour into this. So let's give it a shot. And (laughs) Four days later. (laughs) (laughs) It's just internship. (laughs) You will hold that record. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's, I think it's really cool and important for, for people to hear this, that, you know, God doesn't want to waste and won't waste any of your past. Mm -hmm. He can use every single moment to prepare you to be a beacon of hope to someone else in the future and, and you've taken your past and you've made it uh, your purpose. You've taken the mess and made it your message. I mean, all of those things are true in your life, Julie. And, and today you are a women's program manager in Wichita, Kansas, mm-hmm. overseeing our women's home there and have just an amazing opportunity to influence and impact lives uh, for, we hope many, many years. And so yeah. Allie and I want you to know how proud we are of you. Thank you. How thankful we are for what you're doing. And Thank I know you. that all the folks that are in the homes and the families that they represent, they are thankful for you as well and appreciate your sacrifice. Talk to us a little bit about, for those listening, you know, what it's like to live in your calling every day. And, and it's okay if it's not always uh, you know, sunshine and unicorns, but talk a little bit about living in that calling and being able to impact people's lives every day. So, yeah, it's, um, like you said, it's relatively new for me. Um, I knew that this was something that I wanted to do, but every, it seems like every day there's kind of something little that comes up that makes me think, oh my gosh, I'm not ready for this. You know, I, I moved to a new city, I, a new job, everything here is brand new. So, um, I've actually been leaning, you know, on the, on the women here, they've been supporting me, uh, just as much as I've been supporting them and I'm learning from them just as much as they're hopefully learning from me. Um, it's been really, really fun to get to, uh, bring in some new girls into this home and watch them grow. I've never seen it from, from this side, from the program manager side, where you walk someone through these doors and a month later, they're doing so well and to be able to you know talk with their families and call them and say hey they're doing so good they're doing you know they're doing this and they're really yes. they're really you know doing the thing it's just so, it's such a cool feeling you know it's it's so different than just being a resident um, i've also got to see and meet a lot of um, supporters uh, out here um, especially with the local churches they they have just reached out and embraced me and the and this entire program out here in Wichita and I couldn't be happier with the support system that we have out here. It's just it's pretty amazing, especially coming from another city. I had no idea what to expect. Mm-hmm. But they love us out here. They love on us. Um, and I couldn't like I said, I couldn't be more grateful to to work with them and then also to help these women grow and help people just get 
you know, restoration, life restoration, family restoration, all the above. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, so pretend I am Cindy right now. Oh, no. <laughs> Your, mom. Your mom. Yes. Would you, what would you say to her? I would tell her she, she is, if it wasn't for her making that decision, I don't think I would be where I am today. I, she could not have made a better choice, a better people, a group of people to be around to help guide her through that. I mean, it, it was literally the starting point of the rest of my life. You know, she, she could not have made a better decision uh, to get help for herself because it has been a direct result of me being where I am today. And I love her so much for doing that. Well, she'll love to hear that. Yeah, she will. And I know that many other moms that are listening have been in that same place that Cindy was, that Mm -hmm. they feel shame filled. They feel alone. They feel like in some ways this, this is their fault. And I want you to know, that's right. I want you to know if you're listening, that there is hope. There really is. Mm -hmm. You're not alone. It's not your fault, and there is hope, and that's the the mantra of finding hope in the support groups, and we want you to know no no matter where you are in the world, there's a Finding Hope support group for you. Mm -hmm. There are many physical locations that you can find at findinghope.today, and there's also two Zoom online Finding Hope groups that meet every single week, Mm -hmm. one on Tuesday nights and one on Thursday afternoons, and so we want you to know that, first off, this story is inspiring and hope-filled. And that secondly, there is a place for you to begin your journey as well. And maybe like this family, um, Julie in the story wasn't quite ready, but maybe you, mom or dad or spouse, are ready to start seeking hope for yourself. Mm-hmm. Click the website, make the phone call, talk to somebody, just take a step of action today. That's what we hope this story will prompt you to do. And yes. one thing is for sure Julie, you are an inspiration mm-hmm. oh, to so you. many women thank you thank you well we mean it thank you for what you're doing every day we are so excited to have you in wichita and if you're listening from wichita stop by and see the ladies bring a meal start volunteering every time you engage with the hope is alive residents i promise you will leave inspired you will leave encouraged and you will leave wanting to come back quickly because that's just what happens when you enter a hope is alive house it's a very very special thing so thank you for joining us today ali thank you for being with us thanks for having me guys yeah for sure maybe next time we can talk a little bit more about heart of dixie with ali <laughs> absolutely you know, um one of these times lance we're gonna get off the hope cast without me wanting to crawl across this microphone on you mm-hmm. again co-host means i'll be here every time i didn't know if you knew yes so lance, i wanted to i wanted to thank you for being here i want to thank you for being here thank you so much for being here today with us as well you, thank you. <laughs> all right and thank you audience and hope is alive family all across the world we love you all so very much you can stay connected through our instagram the Hopecast Instagram to see who's coming up next on this very special podcast. And remember this, God is love, change is possible, and hope is alive.